Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 419 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hello, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm losing my voice. And I'm not happy about it. Well, what are you going to do? It's that time of year. It's freezing here in Cleveland today. but It is cold. It's February, so um, that's to be expected. I'm not going to... Somebody said I was complaining on the phone to somebody. I got a business business call. That's business call? What? And uh, I was like, it's so cold here right now. And they're like, well, you live in Cleveland, right? I was like, yeah. And, he's like, and it's February? I was like, mm-hmm. uh-huh. And he's like, so it's like standard. Yeah. I was like, good point. Good point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So... Today's episode, which we'll get to in a minute, is an interview I did with uh, Leila Saad, who wrote a book that came out last week called Me and White Supremacy, which was an instant New York Times bestseller. And we get all into it during the interview, but this started as like, an Instagram challenge and then it became a workbook. And it's just phenomenal. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about it in the introduction, just because she does a much more eloquent job of describing it. But you're going to love it. Um, if you aren't following Layla on Instagram, you'll want to do that because she has an incredible Instagram feed. It's all good stuff. So that is what the main part of the episode is. But we have some cool things to talk about first that Jill and I both happen to be doing. So do you want to kind of explain it? Because it's pretty funny. Is it funny? Well, it's funny that we're both, it's funny that we're both doing it. Yeah, that was a bad way of saying it. It's, it's funny that we're both involved separately without realizing. Correct. Correct. That seems more fitting. So um, we are both um, sort of adjacently participating in the the, um, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's Man and Woman of the Year. We personally are not up for it. Yes. Um, And my dad is. um, And so this is a like nationwide thing where they kind of break it up by cities or territories, I guess. I'm not sure how it works. So um, for Cleveland, my dad is up it's a for man of the year it's a fundraising effort um for lls um and we're coming to you guys yeah so <laughs> it's this really like you said it's this really cool thing that there was huge gala and it's amazing and what they do is they raise all this money to find a cure for leukemia and lymphoma and like just about every cent they raise goes to finding a cure and like going to uh, research in that specific area. Correct. Yeah, blood cancers are a very specific kind of yeah. um, cancer. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, peek behind the curtain, as it were. Uh, my mom died of leukemia about a year and a half ago. So, um, since she was diagnosed um, in the fall of 2017, my dad, sister, and I have been very involved and active in raising money specifically for blood cancers. And so that's why we're, you know, participating in the in the man of the year and supporting my dad as he's trying to um, raise money for it. Yeah. And so the way that I'm involved is the chair of the whole program is a close college friend of mine. And she sent me a text message like months and months ago. I was like, I need you to help me with this thing. I said, yes, absolutely. And part of my job at the beginning of the program was to find candidates to 
compete to be the man or woman of the year. And the, the winner of the man or woman of the year is just the person who raises the most money, which it's just a, they do this cool gala. And so one of my friends who runs a consulting company here in Cleveland, she was one of the people I suggested, and she absolutely was like, yes, I want to do this. And so her workaround, I'm technically not supposed to be on a team. <laughs> so her workaround was she put my wife on her team. There you go. Um, and so... Exact same thing. Uh, my friend, you know, my wife, technically has a link that you can donate here. So what we're gonna do is in our show notes, and we'll put it on our social media as well. Is we're gonna put the links to both of our donation pages. Pick whichever one you want. This isn't or like, both or both. Yeah, this isn't like Jill or I being competitive. Like I don't care. You can put zero dollars on the one that I. That's my wife's name and all the money you want to donate to jill it doesn't matter it all goes to the same place it it does all go to the same place and i do think it's man like i think both of them because they're like a man of the year and a woman of the year so you're they're not even really competing with each other that's true they're not really competing against each other so again if you and it's one of those situations like i know people say this but literally every dollar counts (laughs) yeah it the amount of like i said the amount like the percentage that goes to the um to the research, I mean, is basically every cent beyond just keeping the lights on in the offices for right. the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. So um, if you go, if you, like, Google Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, you'll even see, like, they bring in local kids who are affected by blood cancers, and they're so adorable. They and, like, are. It just, the whole thing is amazing, and the person who's kind of running the program came up to Jill and me separately and was like, so I have a thought, and we were, and he's, <laughs> she's like, it could be like a podcast divided, and we started laughing. But more than anything else, just like if you have the if you have the ability and means, it could be a five dollar donation. You know, if you are if you have the ability to give more, that's awesome. If you don't, that's still awesome. And it you don't have it. It runs through April, so you don't have to do it right now if you're not able to. So this will be something that will be coming up over the next six weeks. Oh, rest <laughs> rest assured. If it's an episode, there'll be lots of yeah, opportunities assured, and if reminders. It's, if it's an episode where we don't have a sponsor, it'll be Jill and I being like sponsor. Our friends and family in this incredible thing. So, yeah, we'll put links there. Um, thank you for letting us do this little PSA because yes. it's very, very cool. Um, if people want to get a hold of us personally for book recommendations and all that jazz, how can they do that? They can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. We are on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. And you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Yes, you can. Um, before we get to the episode, have you read anything lately? I feel like you and I haven't been in a room in a couple weeks. We haven't. What have I been reading lately? Well, I have interviews coming up at PLA, so um, I don't have all of the books quite yet. There's one in particular I'm very excited for, but I'm not going to talk about it yet. Um, That's fair. Because I'm like totally paranoid something's going to happen um, with the interview. <laughs> no, you're, you're doing it the right way. <laughs> I would have liked. I've definitely had that happen where, unfortunately, something happens they get canceled. So, um, I on the subject of today's interview, actually, I started reading um, "White Fragility" uh, by Robin D'Angelo. I think is the correct name. Mm -hmm. I don't have it in front of me, so that's gonna be awkward if it's wrong. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which is uh, a white woman writing to other white people about race, and it's. it's, you know, it's very informative. Um, she's an academic, and so that does slightly come across in, in some of the writing style, but it's definitely, you know, making white people aware of 
various race issues and where we fit in or don't fit in and just tackling the concept of of white fragility in a larger discussion about race you were right by the way it is it's Robin D'Angelo okay. yeah um and actually I don't even know if you knew this she was on Layla Saad's uh that does not surprise me yeah Layla Saad's <laughs> podcast so they had a great conversation um I just finished High Fire by Owen Colfer which I think we talked about in January's books um it's about this dragon who lives in the swamp and loves, uh, loves like flash dance and drinks a bunch of vodka and hates everybody. And it's like these like drug smugglers. And it, it's this weird. Listen to the audiobook because the audiobook has these amazing like Cajun accents. Okay. And it is so much fun and it's so ridiculous. Sure. Um, it's everything I was hoping it would be when I suggested it in January. So that's High Fire by Owen Colfer. And, um, I just started Followers by Megan Angelo, and I it I feel like you would like this one. It's okay, like social media. Like I just started it this morning as an audiobook, but it's like there's this person who writes in a very popular like female blog about like celebrities and stuff, and she wants to write a book, and it flashes forward like 50 years where everyone is following these ridiculously popular social media people and like watch every single aspect of their life and. There's a murder, and it's just. I think we talked. So about it's a little it. black mirrorish. It's very black. Oh, okay, so extremely sold. Yeah, it's extremely black mirrorish. Uh, I just started it this morning, but it's really, really good. I think it was either on our February, on our February or March or our January episode. Okay. Yeah, it's followers by Megan Angela. This is basically me recommending it to you, also everyone That's listening. Fine. But um, I'll take it. Yeah. Anything else you think people should know about? I don't think so. I don't think so either. All right. Well, thank you for listening to our little spiel. Please donate. Again, we'll put the links everywhere. And uh, that's about it. So we'll let you guys get to this episode with Leila Saad on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi, everybody. It's Adam, and I am hanging out here at the American Library Association in very rainy Philadelphia. I am excited to be joined by Leila Saad, who is a globally respected writer, speaker, and podcast host as well on the topics of race, identity, leadership, uh, personal transformation, and social change. Her debut book, Me and White Supremacy, is now available and is essential reading as a way to evaluate not just our place in society, but how we're affecting change within it. Leila, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Adam. I was telling you before we started recording... I'm really excited because I listen to your podcast and all the time people come up to me and say, oh, it's so weird to see the person that I hear their voice all the time. And so for once, I get to do that yeah. with a podcast host. So uh, we always start our conversations by having the author kind of introduce the book. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about Me and White Supremacy? Yes. So Me and White Supremacy, the beginnings of the story are so different to how many books are written. Yes. Let me tell you a little bit about myself and how this book came to being. Mm -hmm. So prior to 2017, I was actually working as a life coach and a business coach. Mm -hmm. I was mainly coaching women through a spiritual perspective. And it just so happened that a lot of my clients were white women. Uh Um, And then in August of 2017, the Unite the Right rally happened in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I remember seeing the images from the news of the men marching in the street, um, the hate in their eyes, the torches that they were carrying. And it just triggered something in me. I saw in their eyes the hate that they had, and it. I realized that that hate was directed at me and people who look like me. Yeah. 
and as a writer, the way that I process things is to sit and write. Of course. Right? So I um, channeled um, everything that came up for me um, into this article called I Need to Talk to Spiritual White Women mm-hmm. About White Supremacy. Essentially, I was addressing my clients, my base, right. and saying, we're doing this life-changing, world-changing work, but we're not addressing this thing called racism. Right. There's this big problem called white supremacy, and it is here mm-hmm. amongst the love and light people, the we are all one race, the human race people, mm-hmm. and it needs to be addressed. Yeah. And what that did is it um, it initiated me into this public conversation around racism. Mm-hmm. The article went super viral, very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, it sparked huge conversation. People had all kinds of different reactions to it. Some people were triggered by it, some people were inspired, but yeah. it definitely it caused a conversation to begin. All right. And so I started writing and talking about race. Mm-hmm. Um, almost a year later, though, I noticed there was a difference in how people were receiving the conversation. Mm-hmm. It was less white fragility. Yeah. And I wanted to know what had changed. Mm-hmm. What had they learned in that time? And so one night while trying to fall asleep, I, I start thinking, what have they learned this time right. about white supremacy, about themselves and white supremacy? Mm-hmm. And actually, what is white supremacy? You know, and so I started listing out these things. Well, white supremacy is white fragility. It's tone policing. It's um, cultural appropriation. And suddenly I had dozens of these different titles and tiles. And I realized this is a journey that I want to post yeah. on my platform. So I just threw up this post, mm-hmm. you know, we begin tomorrow, a 28-day journey to learn about you and your complicity in white mm-hmm. supremacy. You're going to discuss what you've learned about your white supremacy. Yeah. And I just went to sleep. Uh-huh. The next day I woke up, <laughs> you know, and we, we began day one. Mm-hmm. And it then was this incredible ride. Yeah. Um, over the course of the 28 days, each day we looked at a different aspect of white supremacy, which is what is outlined in this book. Yeah. And um, by the end of the, cha- of the challenge, my... My followers, I'd started with 19K, 19,000 followers uh-huh. on Instagram. It had more than doubled in yeah. the time that we had done the challenge. And so by the time we finished, I said, I need to put this into something. Yeah. Let's put it into a book so people can continue to use this. Mm-hmm. Because I was seeing huge transformations in how people were able to understand white supremacy is not just the KKK, it's not just racial slurs, right. it's this system yeah. that impacts all of us ways and it's not outside of yourself mm-hmm. it's actually inside of you so how did you go you mentioned you know you were kind of up all night and you were thinking about all these things like what is white supremacy and listening to them out how did you transfer your ideas of what white supremacy is into actions that people could take because those are two different th- it's one yeah. thing to read about something it's another thing entirely to say okay how can I do something yes so, so my whole philosophy is you can't um, change something that you don't really understand. And what I was finding, what I have found, is that most people have read a lot of books and studied it at university and know the lingo, Mm -hmm. but still see it as something separate from themselves. They understand it intellectually, Mm -hmm. but have never done, a lot of people have never done a real deep dive into how it shows up for them. So the way that I address this is to basically you have them use um, these uh, self-reflective journaling questions to really interrogate mm-hmm. themselves. Yeah. From that place of interrogating themselves, then they can be in, begin to create change in how they live their lives. Mm-hmm. So it's not about having a checklist of these are the right things to do. Yeah. Right? Because if it were that easy, uh-huh. we could just hand that out to everybody. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I'm curious what, other than the massive amount of people that, right. that partook, like, what... 
Was there anything that surprised you most when you were doing the Instagram challenge aspect, whether it was a response you weren't expecting or the way people were approaching it? Was there anything that really surprised you, again, other than just the sheer amount of volume? Yeah, there were many different things that surprised me. Um, Honestly, I was surprised by the willingness of some people to go really deep, and that was incredible because when others who felt more shy or didn't want to um, self-disclose mm-hmm. uh, held back when they saw somebody who was willing to dive in and really say no this is what I do yeah it then gave them the space to say okay I can I can step in and yeah. do that too so that surprised me um, but also um, and maybe this shouldn't surprise me because white fragility you know is what it is yeah. there was some pushback uh-huh. you know we got some people who were not taking part in the challenge but were watching it uh-huh. and you know, just trying to derail things a little bit. Yeah. Um, saying things like, this is uh, an attempt for this woman to mass brainwash all of these white people yeah. into hating themselves, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but even with that, even with that sort of attack, mm-hmm. people just kept going. And, and so I think that it's that commitment people mm-hmm. stuck with me right. for the 28 days. Yeah. It's not easy work. Hey nerds, want to take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor, which is Indeed.com. When you start your hiring process, you may have questions. Will you find good applicants to choose from? What about education and experience? And how will you know you've made the right hire? Indeed is here to help. Millions of great candidates use Indeed every single day to find their next opportunity. You can post a job in minutes and use screener questions to help create your shortlist of applicants fast. Also, add skill tests to your job posts so you can be confident in your applicant's abilities. The library of more than 50 skill tests ranges from industry-specific skills like accounting to general aptitude tests like critical thinking. Indeed gives you the smart tools to make hiring decisions quickly and to be confident that you're making the right hire for your team. Post your job today at indeed.com slash booknerds and get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting. That's indeed.com slash booknerds. Terms and conditions and exclusions apply. This offer is valid through March 31st, 2020. One last time, that's indeed.com slash booknerds. Yeah, Yeah. I'm curious... um, because what strikes me about your work is how, not, not only obviously how passionate you are, but you seem tireless when it comes to this. And I just have to imagine seeing the amount of people who are interested in doing it is wonderful. But then there's also this section of people who should really be the ones evaluating themselves, who I have to imagine just completely turn off and say, I don't need to worry about right. like that. When you get approached by these people who are just so close-minded, is right. there even a way for you to begin the conversation? So, I am tireless in this work, yes. but I'm also very intentional about how mm-hmm. I do it. This book, this work, is for everybody who has white privilege to do, but I understand not everybody who has white privilege is willing to do it. Yeah. And so, what I do is I speak to the people who are willing mm-hmm. to have the conversation, and it is my hope that as they do the work, they will take the burden of having those conversations because when a black person or a person of color Mm -hmm. puts themselves on the line in front of those people the emotional labor toll it takes and the amount of safety that you can have in those spaces is very low right Right. so it's my hope that you know people who are 
saying, I want to be an ally. Mm-hmm. I want to show up in allyship to people of color. This is how you show up. Yeah. This is how you use your privilege, mm-hmm. is to take the burden off of people of color. I'm really glad you said it that way because you're exactly right. Like, you took the onus of creating... <laughs> To be fair, you have done absolutely everything you can for people that need that want to be an ally at this point, having a book and the whole thing. But you're absolutely right. I, I think people who admittedly look like me, I'm a middle class white male. Right. Like I have been handed every privilege in right. the world. Right. It, the world is essentially made for you. 100%. Right. Right. Yeah, I'm a straight, I'm a straight middle class right. white male. Like, I understand that. And I think, like you said, it's not on you to go to me and say, Adam, have you it's on me to reflect and then to to any of my you know people in my life that i think might also benefit from this it should be yeah on me not you right 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 and there is something about when you have that conversation you still hold white privilege you're not really risking anything except the discomfort yeah of having to have a difficult conversation yeah. right but when someone like me does it I mean it can get really nasty yeah. very violent and so I intentionally choose not to engage in those conversations mm-hmm. because why why, why should I yeah right? why should I yeah. yeah there's so much change you can make without right. trying to deal with those types right. of people yeah um I'm curious along those lines you know people I'm going to assume mostly white will say something like what makes you an expert on this topic and first off, I, I would imagine that starting with, you have an extremely multicultural upbringing, yeah. which I have to imagine yeah. helps a lot. But can you kind of talk about your upbringing? Because it yeah. fascinates me to know I love hearing you discuss this. Yeah. Well, before I do that, though, I, I, I love that you've asked that question. And what I want to point out around this idea of expertise, you yeah. know, often that comes from this idea of a, a very colonized idea of who gets to be an authority. Yeah. And, it, and black Muslim women mm-hmm. are often not seen as credible authorities in the eye of white supremacy. Yes. So what expertise do I have? I'm a black Muslim woman. Uh-huh. So oftentimes, uh, somebody who's a black Muslim woman isn't seen as an authority. But as a black Muslim woman, yeah. I know exactly how white supremacy operates because I'm on the receiving end yeah. of it. So, and if you're white, you don't know how it operates yeah. because privilege protects you mm-hmm. from that. But in terms of my identities, yeah, I have a very... Um, unique uh-huh. <laughs> set of identities. I, my parents are East African, uh, Zanzibari, Kenyan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're also originally Omani as well, so we're Middle Eastern. Uh, my parents met in the UK. Um, I was born there in Wales. I had uh-huh. a Welsh accent for the first like nine, ten years of my life. Okay, that's what I want to talk about the Welsh yeah. in a minute. That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I had a Welsh accent, um, and then when I was uh, not, around nine, ten, we moved to Tanzania and lived there for about a year and a half. Uh-huh. Then moved back to Wales, and then moved to England mm-hmm. um, for five years, yeah. and then moved to Qatar when I was fifteen years old. And then I moved back to the UK for my degree. Yeah, you know, and then moved back to Qatar, which is where I still live now. I well, first off. Uh, I think Welsh is my favorite. Like, like, I would love to learn that. I don't, it would not help me out in any yeah. But could, can it's you such speak? A cute accent. Can Especially you speak little Welsh? Ki- no. Okay. Because I just feel like that's one of those. <laughs> like that's one of those languages where someone was like had too much to drink when they created it. It's just like nine. <laughs> it's consonants a great. Below. It's yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. Um, that's apropos. <laughs> I just love that. So having had so many crossroads with so many different cultures, yeah. like. What do you see as something that might be different in the UK versus the Middle East versus the US when it comes to white supremacy? That's such a great question. 
um, white supremacy and racism and how the conversation around it is held is very different across all different countries. Um, here in the United States, there is a different there is a different way that the conversation is being held, and that reflects the history of the United States right. of America, the uh, genociding of the indigenous people Absolutely. here, the stealing of the land, and then the kidnapping of people from Africa and their enslavement here, um, and that whole history of Jim Crow and everything that goes with it. So the conversation here is different, plus the 2016 elections, which sparked a whole new conversation as yeah, well. Absolutely. In the United Kingdom, uh, they haven't had that history in the same way, but they have had a British colonial oh, yeah. history, which I find a lot of Brits and the conversation around racism in the UK sort of try and brush that under the table. Right. That was a long time ago, you know, but the impact of it is, yeah. you know, the UK colonized so many countries. Yeah. You know, the reason my parents moved to the UK is because they were originally colonized by the UK, uh -huh. you know. So the, the idea that um, uh, ra uh, racism absolutely is talked about differently in all of these countries, mm -hmm. but white supremacy is global. Yeah. It just shows up in different ways, depending on that country's history. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I've tried to do with the book is not... Um, not make it so that it's only about one country, yeah. but instead have you understand that no matter where you as an American, mm -hmm. as a white person, travel in the world, mm -hmm. you will continue to have white privilege. I'm, I'm curious about the Middle East. Yeah. I, what is the, and, and apologize for just, I've never been there not, not knowing, but the, the racial relations there. Yeah. How would you say it? Paris anywhere else yeah it's it's very unique yeah um, there's a large uh, expatriate population mm -hmm. uh, it's, so it's very diverse there's yeah. people from all over the world there you you know when I come here to the United Kingdom it's I'm like oh there's so few different other people from yeah. different other countries mm -hmm. um, but it's very very diverse there um, and they do have a, a different history they're also younger countries yeah um, so the United States and you can have this long you uh -huh. know centuries of history countries don't you yeah. know they haven't reached a century yet to my understanding um, and so they have different challenges um, but you know white supremacy also shows up there mm -hmm. as well um, it shows up in and I wrote about this in the book it shows up in my kids school mm -hmm. you know they go to a British school very diverse student body yeah. uh, very monolithic uh, teacher body mm -hmm. leadership body and so they're having conversations now around why it's important for there to be more teachers of color. <laughs> of course. Yeah. yeah. I, do you find yourself seeing the way in these different cultures the way that you would interact with someone or the way that someone would interact with you kind of vice versa depending on where you're at? I mean obviously like I said the white supremacy and the you know, racial issues is, is everywhere but yeah. I'm curious I, I imagine it's probably different based on every person you speak Yeah with. it is different and I think also a privilege that I have is being British. Mm -hmm. And so I'm seen differently to say, I have family members there who are, you know, my uncles and cousins yeah. and stuff, who are not British, they're, they're Kenyan. Yeah. They would be treated differently to me. Yeah. And that British privilege comes uh -huh. from that same history. Yeah. Um, but I've certainly, you know, just recalling an incident when my husband and I were on a date at the cinema. Mm -hmm. and there was a white man ahead of us trying to buy a ticket. And he just was so rude to the... Um, person serving him uh, in a way that was clearly about that racial dynamic yeah. you know and and so like I said you take it everywhere you go 
and nobody will question you. Yeah. You know, nobody, if you treat someone in that way, nobody will question you. Something we were talking about in the intro, I love your podcast, that it's very inspiring and educational and informative. And Anna, it's, it's a good ancestor podcast, and you talk about how you want to be a good ancestor. And I've been thinking about this a lot, and I'm curious what you think that might mean for a white person. Like, yeah. What would it mean for like me to say, I want to be a good ancestor? Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting, because on the podcast, I primarily try and interview people of color and of black people. Yes. I do have a couple of white people that I've interviewed, and yeah. the conversation that we have around that is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think being a good ancestor as a white person, a person who holds white privilege, first of all, comes with acknowledging the history and the lineage that you come from, regardless of whether your ancestors were uh, slave owners. You know, a lot of people are like, well, well, my family didn't, you know, yeah. weren't plantationists, didn't have, we didn't come from that. Mm-hmm. Yes, but they still lived in a time and benefited from a system mm-hmm. that oppressed people of color. And so it's about acknowledging and holding that history, mm-hmm. while at the same time recognizing you can be the one that changes the trajectory of what happens next. Um, you can be the one that says, we don't do this anymore. We take responsibility now. We change things now. Um, another thing that I think is important for, for white people to, to understand is, you know, oftentimes they're like, well, they feel so guilty about, you know, their family's history. Sure. And it's like, you kind of want to separate yourself <laughs> from that and sort of like, I'm starting a new line yeah. and I don't want to be connected to that. But, you know, our ancestors are inside of us, uh-huh. you know whether for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. And there are things that you have inherited from them that are amazing things, yeah. both in terms of like genetically, but also just things that they did in the world that mm-hmm. impact you. Um, so you can own that, but you can also take responsibility for the things they did that weren't so great. Yeah, the, the thing that I grew up with, I was very, I, I grew up in a small city called Lorraine, which the only thing that it was really prominent for is Toni Morrison was born right. there. And so, I was very, it's a very multicultural city, and I was very, very lucky in the sense that, first off, Toni Morrison was like, as soon as it was age appropriate for us to read Toni Morrison, it was required reading in every city, which was fantastic. And because it was so multicultural, the thing that I will always be thankful for all of my my teachers and the parents of the Queen of the Taz is when you are speaking with someone who is other than you, the most important thing is to listen. To me, I've always thought that when someone is discussing a thing they have gone through, it's not my job to say, yeah, but, and just wait for my turn to speak. I think the most important thing you can do as a white person is listen. And I'm always shocked by the amount of people who refuse to do that. Right. I'm not. Well, (laughs) I suppose I shouldn't either. I guess that's a little, like, closed-minded of me to think about that And the reason that I'm not, and I talk about this in the book, is because of white centering. Right? So, yes, we all see the world through our own lens and our own perspective. That is a human being thing that we do, right? But also, white supremacy means that white people are taught to see that the world is, this is how the world is set up. Yeah. So oftentimes, I'll give you an example. Um, A a white person might might say, we don't have racism in our our town. I've never seen it. Or I have a black friend. And they've never complained that they've experienced it, right? And it's because they're looking through their own Mm -hmm. lens that is their personal lens, but the lens of white supremacy. 
right? So just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Yeah. Just because they haven't told you doesn't mean they haven't experienced right. it. Yeah. It's so it's so interesting you say that. I and I mentioned when where I grew up, it was it was so multicultural. It was wonderful. And one of my best friends is African American, and he actually makes he's African American and Puerto Rican, which mm. our city is very is so so. I think actually as a Caucasian, technically I was a minority. That like Puerto Rican is the largest. We have the largest amount of Puerto Rican people outside, outside of Puerto, of Puerto Rico. Rico. Wow. It's wonderful. And food is great. That's my favorite part. But <laughs> uh, my friend Brandon and I went to college together at a place called John Carroll, which is predominantly white. It's a Jesuit college. And it was so strange because we, obviously you'd see people in our city who were still white supremacists and, and you know, very close-minded to things. But when we went to college, it was the first time. It actually is a lot like Tony Morris used to talk about this too. Mm. I remember going to college with him and hearing things people would say. And I was lucky enough to be aware of it at the time I would look at them. And right. just be, I, it's such a culture shock. It's almost right. like the other way around that a lot of white people experience right when they go out into the world they see more multicultural right it is it's and that's so um key what you're saying because i think so many people do consider it as those are the bad white people right and we're so separate from them Uh they're so far away yeah but (laughs) you know those uh racist thoughts are there in in all white people Mm -hmm. because that's what you've been conditioned into and more people than you know act on them I think it's okay. Yeah. And it often is okay because there are no consequences for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on a positive side, what with the book coming out, what are you most excited about for the process of having an even more substantial version of this conversation that you're pushing out there? I'm just so grateful. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we were able to reach so many people first with the Instagram challenge that was, you know, tens of thousands of people. Yeah. And then with the workbook, which is almost 100,000 people. Amazing. So to have access to a book that is going to be in bookstores, you know, available as audiobooks, yeah. as ebooks, it's just incredible because that means so many more people are going to get access to this process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what this book is, is a book that is a tool, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a way to facilitate conversation. Mm-hmm. And already we've seen that in so many different places, but to actually have something yeah. in hand, you know, or, you know, available through other means means that people can say hey we're gonna be holding this group together uh-huh. you know let's do it as a group together I'm curious as well for uh, like teachers because we have a lot of yeah. teachers to listen in as well yeah what would you say would be a good age range to introduce students to this because there's it the, like, the famous thing about like, no child is born racist yes and, uh, that's you know that's it's, what they're taught it's a taught right. it's a learned thing so what would you say would be an age-appropriate I'm genuine. I have nieces and nephews yeah. who I want to show this to. And like, yeah. well, again, we're, well, our family is. We have a we but, have a young readers edition yes. coming. Um, I feel like I should have be, known that. Yeah, so it will be age ten to fourteen, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, I think a good age. Yeah. Um, we're taking them through the same process, mm-hmm. same twenty eight day process. Obviously, adapting it for young readers. I think when it comes to teachers, we had a lot of teachers who did the challenge actually, and Teaching Tolerance Magazine did a piece about it. They interviewed, I think it was three people who worked um, as teachers and in schools to say, what was the process like for you and how do you show up differently now in schools? So if you have teachers who are doing the adult version and you have kids doing the Young Readers edition, that will facilitate so much conversation. Um, And I'm really, really excited for that because I think young people, like you said, you know, they're not born racist, they're taught it, yeah. and that age is such a critical age, mm-hmm. and young people are also less set in their identity mm-hmm. than 
adults are yeah. and are more malleable mm -hmm. to you know changing perspectives of how the world is yeah. right I think as many adults who maybe you know have been taught we don't see color we don't see color we don't see color yeah there is no racism you know yeah when they get to this age and they're doing this book it's so challenging for them because uh -huh. they're having to break apart their worldview yeah for a child they're constantly learning new concept right. concepts so they're like okay I get yeah okay kind of roll you know? with it. Yeah. yeah yeah so that's exciting that's amazing. when we talk about this idea of becoming good ancestors we're empowering them now mm -hmm. to also you know grow up to be different kinds of adults um, I often say to parents, you know, you weren't equipped with the ability to have critical conversations around race, which is why it's so hard for you as an adult. When you equip young people from a young age, they grow into adults who can hold yeah. the complexities yeah. of conversations it's, around race. It's truly like learning a language where yes. people say the younger you are like a sponge and yes. you soak it up and the more, and this exact same thing, like the more cultures you are shown as yes. a younger child. Yeah. It's just you learn, it's so much more adaptive growing up. Yeah. I mean, I think about my kids. You know, I grew up in the UK, the only <laughs> the only Muslim kid in a, a Catholic school, yeah. and one of the only black kids as well. My mm -hmm. kids go to a very multicultural school. They've never known anything else. Yeah. They're having an entirely different experience. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm so happy. Uh, so towards the end of our podcast, this is going to be a left turn from the conversation okay. we just had. Uh, we ask nine lighthearted questions okay. that I call the Nerd Nine. I'm a fan of alliteration, so that's why. Um, the first one is, what's the last book you finished reading? Oh. oh I will like, also accept a book you're currently reading, if I'm, that's easier. I'm currently... <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm always rotating a few S books at once. Same. I'm almost through with uh, Children of Virtue and Vengeance by Tommy Adiemi. I love her. I love her too. She is amazing. Yeah. Uh, she is incredible. I'm also, uh, in terms of audiobooks, I'm actually listening to um, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Yeah. I find her work very helpful for me um, as a leader and just, it expands me, mm -hmm. you know. And um, I'm starting, so in 2018, I read through all of Octavia Butler's books. And so I'm actually currently reading through Toni Morrison's books. Amazing. Um, but I have to make space for it. So the last, the last book of hers that I read, I think it was Sula. Sula. Uh, I it. love all of her works. Yeah. I, yeah I, my mom has just like, it's just a, like a prized row yes. of all the it books. Is, it is, it is. And you just look at it and you're like, beautiful. Well, and again, especially being from Lorraine, we take yeah. such pride. It, when you, it's like, walking to Lorraine, home of Toni Morrison. Yeah. It's like the first thing they say. Yeah. Um, what is, do you have a favorite place to read? Everywhere and anywhere. I mean, my bed, you know, the sofa at home. Usually at home, especially when you're in it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Do you remember the book that kind of made you fall in love with reading as a child? Probably Roald Dahl books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember George's Marvelous Medicine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I just reread The Witches. Yeah. Because we were talking about this yesterday. We just rewatched the movie, actually. Oh, so yeah. dark. Yeah. I was talking to another source books author, Ryan Lasala, yesterday about that, and I was like, why are you obsessed with The Witches? Um, this will be a fun one because you've traveled everywhere. Where's somewhere, somewhere you'd like to go you've not yet been to? Oh. I'm going to Australia this year, mm. and I'm really excited because I've never been there. Mm -hmm. um, it's an entirely different world, yeah. and also my best friend lives there. Oh, yeah. Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Favorite holiday? E Eid. All the Eids. Uh -huh. I'm Muslim, so all, all the, the, Eids. All the Eids. We have two Eids, and I love them both, yeah. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Yeah. <laughs> that was easy. So incredulous. <laughs> uh, cats or dogs? Cats. Do you have a favorite food? 
Any any breakfast food? Okay. Any breakfast food. I will yeah. accept any breakfast food. <laughs> uh, last one of these. If you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would you pick? Oh, Octavia Butler. Octavia Butler. Yeah. And, sorry, and Audrey Lord. If I'll, I have two. Oh, yeah. we're going to have a little, yeah, a little yeah, group yeah. one. Okay, last question for you, and we, this, this is kind of in the crux of our entire conversation, but what do you hope readers take away from reading Me and White Supremacy? Three things. Mm-hmm. I want them to know that this isn't an attack. Yes. <laughs> it's just, it, is a cha- it is challenging work, but this book is not an attack. It's an invitation yeah. to do the work and to, to become good ancestors. Um, I want people to understand what white supremacy actually is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just the N-word or you know, racial slurs, the neo-Nazis, um, but it's this, this institution and this worldview mm-hmm. that we are all impacted by. Nice. Um, and thirdly, I want those people who consider themselves allies, who want to show up uh, as allies to people of color, mm-hmm. to be able to really look more deeply at themselves. Yeah. You know, um, we've recently had MLK Day, mm-hmm. and you know, he famously talked about you know the, the, the moderate progressive who you know gets in the way of progress, often because they won't look at themselves and say it's them, but it's not us. And I want this to be a tool for them to look at themselves and say we are standing in the way, yeah. and we can be part of the change. That's amazing. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.